0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 626 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am head number one around here, and my name is
1: Matt Baum, kids. And I'm your head number two, but you may know me as the Internet's Joe Patrick. We've got an incoming holiday weekend, which means plenty of time to read your stack of new comics. Speaking of which, we're back to the hard work of reviewing eight new comics from this week and last week, and then we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week, oh. the far-flung future That's date. Right. We're planning ahead. Seven, seven,
0: And finally, we're dropping a snippet of our Patreon-exclusive, THN. Take a look. It's in a book club segment where Nick Garcia joins us to discuss the Downriver people from Archaea and Boom. I mean, from both, but you get it. So, Light up your punks, punks, because we're blowing up some new comics for 4th of July review time in the Ziggurat!
1: In the pile of this episode, we've got comics from 623 and 630 to wrap about, and they feature everything from a bunch of Captain's America to a whole new universe of Spawns. That's right, It Spawn's apostrophe S. Matt, you're batting lead off this week. My yeah, first they, review, it happens
0: to be of Spawn's Universe, number one from Image. It's written by Todd McFarlane, with art by Jim Chung, Brett Booth, Steven Segovia, and Marcio Takara. The Dead Zone portals are closed, so no one from heaven or hell can come to Earth, and anyone on Earth is stuck here. With all the doors closed, the angels and devils on Earth are apparently all fighting for control of Hell's throne, which may have been what Omega Spawn was sitting on. More of that in a minute. And I'm not real sure how anyone will get there since, you know, the doors are closed. But we meet two other Spawns that conveniently have Spawn in their name. One wears a top hat, has guns. Can you guess his name? And the other is a busty deadbeat mom with guns. Can
1: you guess her name? Is it Gun Hat Spawn?
0: No, it's Gun Having Spawn. Is it Busty (laughs) Deadbeat Spawn? Nope, it's She Spawn. Yeah, Gunslinger Spawn and She Spawn. McFarlane narrates literally everything in this book. Everything. There's a panel where a cat attacks a guy and McFarlane says, the cat is attacking this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I, I couldn't help but notice. Thanks. The story is loose and it assumes that not only are you currently reading Spawn, but you've been paying very close attention to Spawn from day one. T-Mac, as I'm going to refer to him from now on, uses his extreme narration to introduce characters and ideas that may have something to do with other books, paired with a barrage of C-issue X for more, which I have said that I appreciate, but not every third panel. Plot points come up and are either overly explained afterward or narrated to a point that hopefully you may just give up and accept that something happened. The backup stories don't do much to bring you up to speed on the other spawns either. By the time I was done, I was exhausted. McFarlane's choice to explain not just the action you are seeing in the panel, but a lot of action that I guess happens off-panel so the artist could just draw more posing was absolutely baffling. Not only was this a terrible first issue for new readers, but it did nothing to set up any, quote, universe around the main Spawn book. It's one thing to say that the way Todd McFarlane wrote this didn't do it for me, and mind you, it didn't, but it also just didn't work to invent any kind of universe or make me feel
1: like I need to read more. I, I got to give this a leave it. I have some thoughts. I've been thinking about this for a couple hours now. It's, it's never really billed as a jumping on point necessarily. It is, however, it is billed as an event 318 issues in the making. So if you have not read the previous 318 issues, maybe that's on you. However, uh, it is setting up a shared universe of spawn characters. Yes. And it does that. This issue introduces multiple spawns. So, yes, I read this. I read this and I very much um, I've i was very indifferent to it. I, I don't even know if I had a reaction strong enough to say that it was bad. I, I Like, I think it was bad as a jumping on point. Yes. Uh, do I think McFarlane is a very strong writer? No. Uh, have I read worse comics? You bet. Oh, sure. Uh, sure. But, but, um, you know, Todd's been doing this, like, Todd and uh, uh, T-Mac, sorry, and, um, and E-Lars, right? They've been doing this- <laughs> <laughs> they've been doing this for 30 years straight. Sure. It's not like, it's not like, you know, Leifeld, who's passed the baton to other people or even Jim Lee or, or whomever these guys have been at least, they have at least had a hand in their universes either directly or indirectly for the entire time. That's fair. But where are you going with this? So I'm saying like, this isn't Todd's first rodeo. It's certainly it's, it's not that he's new to writing. It's just that I don't really care for his writing style and he is overly wordy.
0: Well, didn't you think like, it I was got, weird I got
1: it. how they would do things like,
0: like, look at this medieval spawn backup where yeah. medieval spawn literally flexes the whole time while McFarland sure. just narrates a story of what happened before the flexing started and yeah. what's going on during the flexing without showing yeah, you yeah, No, it, Like, you're right.
1: It, you're not wrong. It's you're not such wrong. such a weird but, like, choice. I actually did. Like I thought that the she spawn story had kind of at least a little compelling hook to it. Like she's a single mom, you know, that like had Is to she? abandon her kid Is because she because
0: she's, she's not around
1: to raise that kid anymore. I, like she she had to leave her family behind because uh, she's constantly like like at, th- at least there was something there, right? Fair you know enough. what I'm saying? That's fair. The rest of it though, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I like I I am familiar with the. I am I am aware of the existence of a character named Sigor. I know that there's a Cogliostro. But what I don't like there was no clue about anything else that happened in this comic. Right. O- Omega Spawn for all the talk about Omega Spawn, who is he? We see we see Omega Spawn erupting from the ground uh, in one, exactly one panel and so we only see him from the waist up. As he's coming up out of the ground. And we assume and he's it. bad.
0: That I mean, you can go ahead and, and assume that he's bad. Well, news. I mean, his name I is guess. Omega Spawn. So. Sounds bad to me. I don't know. Yeah. But there's nothing uh, to say Omega Spawn, who... I yeah, no. Right. Took over Hell or Omega Spawn, who was a real thorn in Spawn's side, or Omega Spawn, like was who
1: never like, gotten along with Cogliostro. Give me something, right? Right? Like who the fuck was that blue Doctor Doom? Uh, I don't know. No the, clue. The blue, the blue and silver Doctor Doom guy with electric powers that
0: likes to torture, you know, Cygor. who Todd McFarlane refers to as a human shield,
1: even though he's a gorilla. <laughs> 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 it's yeah. like, Come on, well, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so okay, uh, so my my review, my rating. Uh, I don't really want to give it a leave it because I think that this is something for Spawn fans uh, and I'm just not one of them. Uh, the art is good. like well, The, the art's art throughout is good. Look who worked on
0: it. They're all exceptional yeah. artists. Yeah.
1: But, like, yeah, like Jimmy like jimmy you got Jimmy Chung to draw Spawn
0: comic. Hey, congrats. But I would take it I would take that one step further and, and say that somehow Todd McFarlane figured out a way to make Jimmy Chung draw boring stuff like even well, the action he, sure. wasn't really action packed and the choices made were more just posed choices well, see, a- and that's
1: the and i think that exposes the weaknesses of spawn not the weaknesses of jimmy chung yes
0: and that's what i'm the, saying the thing yeah. that
1: makes spawn the the number one thing that makes spawn cool is the huge gape and right. the massive cha- and like we don't get that that's it's a very restrained and Spawn visually should never be restrained. Am I wrong? Like, I don't disagree. Spawn should be over the top visually yeah, for sure. Th-
0: this is definitely not like what Jimmy Chung should be doing.
1: Oh yeah, no, 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 no. He's totally wrong. He's totally wrong for Spawn. I don't know what he's doing. The paycheck must have been huge. I hope it was huge. You know what would have really money to the drawn the bank, some Jimmy. attention to this? Todd McFarlane draws his own
0: goddamn comic.
1: That would that have been, been massive. That would have been really cool, you know? <laughs> there, there was one variant cover that was drawn by Todd. I found it unrecognizable as his work. Yeah. I, I thought it was so mediocre uh, that it was almost better that he probably didn't draw it. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm going to give this a skimmit, a, 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 a very generous skimmit. As a spawn, if you're a spawn fan and you're excited about Spawn expanding into a shared universe, a la like Invincible or whatever. Great, this is exactly what you want. I it's want exactly to hear what you from want. you. I want to know that I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be five you know four or five other books that spin out of this, all featuring different versions of spawn i guess i don't know y'all have spawn in the damn name come on (laughs) i know well like the next one is king spawn i don't know what i don't know who king spawn is is king spawn the original spawn Is is he our spawn spawn is dumb i'm sorry spawn is dumb i want to know i want people to i want people that like it we haven't done the defenders in a while. Yeah. And I have a lot of problems with the way that we do defenders Someone because I don't spawn. like to
0: shout down people. We don't shout them down. We just make fun of them. Yes, we do. No, I don't like I don't just, like
1: people to come on and then have their opinions belittled, which is what we have always done. That is what Defenders is for. No, no. I want people to actually defend what they like and we can shut up about it. As long as they do a good job, we will. We'll no, be like, we can shut up right. about it. <laughs> we you, can just you know shut what? up about it.
0: You defended it and
1: you convinced us. But I want I want people, I want somebody that actually legitimately has an affection for Spawn, who is up to date on Spawn, who has read this comic. I want them to come on and do a Defender segment, and I promise you, we will be kind. Uh, we will be open-minded. I I will say open-minded. Yeah, unless you do a bad job. (laughs) No, don't listen to Matt. We will be open court,
0: and you are defending yourself, and you don't do a good job,
1: you go to jail. That's (laughs) That's yeah. I I I just got done telling you I had a problem with the premise of the segment. So, but anyway, yeah, it's a it's a skimmet, and it's a very generous skimmet. This book was not for me, and it was so long that I like. I almost thought about posting on Twitter that you were going to make me read something this week that was a friendship ender. (laughs) After 20 years of friendship, this is it. You did it. Congratulations. Spawn's Universe is the title that broke us. As far as I know, I'm already dead, which means I'm waiting for your sorry ass in the afterlife. Moving on, hopefully, to Greener Pastures. Our next review is of Heroes Return, number one for Marvel. Jason Aaron's I have to say, considering how much I've been kind of down on his regular Avengers run lately, I really enjoyed Heroes Return. Uh, Heroes Reborn was the actual event. Heroes Return is the finale. Earth's Mightiest Heroes, uh, their memories have been more or less restored, and the true villain finally shows his cards. A Mephisto-empowered Phil Coulson will stop at nothing to maintain a hold on the sham of a reality that's been built around him, even if that means sacrificing both his personal heroes, and those that have been brainwashed into serving him. For the thousandth time in their tortured existence, the Squadron Supreme are the unwilling dupes this time. But now, they aren't so quick to go back to the way things were. This issue is a predictable slugfest between the Avengers, the Squadron, and Coulson, but it's an enjoyable one. Reality is righted. The enemy is defeated, but not before we learn that something far more sinister is lurking, and it leaves the squadron members in an interesting place. Some people seemed kind of down on this event, uh, but I actually really enjoyed it. Writer Jason Aaron and his collaborators twisted the squadron's usual DC homage in several interesting ways, and the art was strong throughout, uh, at least with Ed McGinnis on the main series. And honestly, it was kind of nice to read something that felt like an event, but without all the baggage of quote-unquote changing the face of the Marvel Universe forever or some similar nonsense. Heroes Return gets a buy-it. I don't disagree
0: about what you said about, like, the huge event just being a fun comic to read and not like, oh, man, after this, the Black Panther's never gonna walk straight again, you know, yeah, like, right. oh, no! Yes, exactly. Or whatever. I'll give you that, but I do feel like as this went on, it sort of felt like Jason Aaron was like, well, I'm going to dumb things down a little bit and just have some fun here. And we'll just end with a big slam bang fight. And we'll introduce a cute Starbrand kid that I couldn't fucking stand. You know, I don't like Starbrand to begin with. And I don't need a cute Starbrand kid. Well, we already, had,
1: we already had the Starbrand baby. And now the baby is a toddler. Yeah. unexplained.
0: And I don't know. I, I didn't love this. I, I, I started off having fun with it. I didn't love this, and I thought the big punch fight in the end was fine. But
1: how else did you think it was going to end? I don't know how
0: else you get out of it. I'm tired of the star brand. I'm tired of the Phoenix. I don't need it in my Avengers. I am tired of the Phoenix. Stuff like that, it just wears on me. And I think this was fine. It was fine. It started fun. It ended okay. I'm giving it a It. Whatever. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun, and that's fine. I get it. I get it. I think I'm over Jason Aaron's Avengers. Well, I am, too. I really am. I think I, it's just like, thank you. Thanks, Jace. Time for somebody new. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I mean, we're, he's coming up on issue 50, so I'm not sure what's going to happen after that, but right. we'll see. We'll see.
0: Hawkeye, hands off. Simmer down, glamour pants. I'm just changing a curly fuse. Tell you what, Joe, you put Puck in a book, and I can guarantee Matt Baum's going to review it. Flight number one is my next review from Marvel. It was written by Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier with art by Land Medina. Puck. Doc Simpson, now a green Sasquatch monster called Doc Sasquatch, Titana, and her boo, the Absorbing Man, Dr. Charlene McGowan, and the horribly mutated Rick Jones, who was sharing a body with a teenager named Del Fry, are on the run after being sent to collect the Hulk. When they discovered there were bigger gamma threats in the world, being mistreated by government and covert agencies, they decided to help the Hulk out and decided to do the same for the other gamma-affected victims. There are some legit sweet moments between Crusher Creel, absorbing man, and Titana here, and I love their relationship. I also love that Puck is running the team, but I gotta say, Lan Medina's art wasn't as great as I've come to expect from him, and the costumes were pretty lacking, especially Titana's one-piece swimsuit and booties. (laughs) I like the idea here, and fans of Ewing's Hulk will feel right at home the team has a solid premise there's a very interesting character return on the last page although some weird going on with that character's face gamma flight is a fun use of these characters though and a good place to clean up some of the messes that they found themselves in thanks to Ewing's sweeping hulk storyline i'm giving this a buy it okay
1: uh, uh full disclosure i did not read this oh on purpose it th- it was on purpose. I I chose not to read it because I'm behind on Immortal Hulk. And while with some books that might not bother me so much, I'm like super invested in the. There Immortal is Hulk. nothing here that would spoil anything in Immortal. Hulk. Uh, well, I think yeah. Uh, like I'm not even up to the point where there where this collection of characters is a group yet. Like so, I'm I'm a ways back. So I will say though, I did flip through it a few times. Uh, and I totally disagree about the art. I thought Leon and uh did great here, and the costumes. I understand where you're coming from with the costumes, but it's kind of a theme. Like they're sort of like matching outfits. No, like I, the I X-Men. get that you could do a better matching outfit. No, I'm, man. but I'm just saying, like, I, like, I kind of, I get it, I get it. Right, I understand. They were going for a thing. You might not like the thing, but I get it. I at least get it. Um, but no, I thought the art was very good. Elaine uh, Medina, <laughs> Lane Medina is an artist that I am constantly confusing with Pia Guerra, who uh, co-created and drew "Why the Last Man." <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, just because of the names. I don't know why. I like. I have no idea why. Um, just like in my head, those two names they they get converged. And uh, yeah, so when I when I was like, oh, Land Medina, Land Medina, that is a totally different artist. Uh, but no, I thought the art was great. I'm not going to rate it because I chose not to read it. I thought the art was good. I just thought it was shaky. There were parts where it wasn't great. It oh, was nasty. really good yeah, on some. I,
0: I, I mean, in other parts, it was okay.
1: Yeah, I, I look like I I, look, I looked at it specifically for the art, and I enjoyed what I saw. But again, I did not. Fantastic transformation as the Incredible Hulk is born. Yeah. Moving on to DC here, we've got Wonder Woman Black and Gold number one. This came out last Wednesday. Wonder Woman gets her own color series in the vein of Batman Black and White and Superman Red and Blue, which I need to read. I don't know why, but I haven't read it yet.
0: Oh, it's good. Superman Red and Blue, That's what really I've heard. Good.
1: Yeah. And like those series, Wonder Woman Black and Gold is primarily an artist's spotlight. Using a monochrome color palette of black, white, and shades of gold and yellow. Each team weaves their own timeless tale of the Amazon princess evergreen, as, the D- as DC used to call it during the DiDio era. There's nothing to worry about here continuity-wise, aside from the broad strokes like her association with the Justice League. Uh, she's got a mom. She's from an island. You're, you're good to go. All of the stories range from good to great, with a few that really stand out as exceptional. Uh, my favorites were "Mother's Daughter" by A.J. Mendez and Ming Doyle, where the familial bond between Amazons is shown to be all too human. Yeah, I didn't uh, like that one at all.
0: That was you the, didn't like that, that one at all. I loved one, that one. Like that, the humanity there. I that really was the enjoyed the Only one I didn't like. Like all right, well, all right. Let me tell me they it, have Wi-Fi on the island. Really? Come on. <laughs> haven't saw why like, Wi-Fi. Why not? <laughs>
1: come on i think i would think that they'd have wi-fi on the yeah. island by now that was the only one i didn't care for whatever uh i'm ageless by john r cutie and ryan sook exploring diana's time fighting alongside the allied soldiers during world war ii was amazing yeah and the wager by becky Cloonan, where the legend of the golden lasso of truth proves stronger than its actual powers Wonder Woman Black and Gold number one is a great collection of character pieces exploring Diana's place in the DC universe without any baggage that might come from trying to place it firmly into any sort of slot in the DC universe. I'm giving this a buy it. Matt is heartless. I can't believe he did not like the mother daughter. No, it's story. a huge it was, buy it from me so as
0: well. I just, that first one, it was too, it was too human. It was a little too human. And it almost felt like to me, they said, well, you know, like write a Wonder Woman story about her mom. They're like, all right, I don't really know anything about Wonder Woman, but I'll write a really cute story about a mother and daughter, you know, and that's fine. But Wonder Woman and her mom are not your typical mother and daughter. And I don't believe that they, one, that they have problems with their cell phone and, and mom who's a god can't remember her password and stuff like that. Like, it was just too cute. The rest of it was exceptional. You I thought the weirdo. Becky Cloonan story was stunning. Absolutely awesome. Black and gold kind of weird colors to choose for wonder woman but whatever it works here i get the gold lasso thing when i think black well, and gold. And you
1: can't really use blue yeah i guess that's a superman thing it's
0: just black and gold i go straight to like fancy late 80s like black furniture with gold trim you know yeah or like a jewelry store website
1: <laughs> yeah. or um
0: the iowa hawkeyes but no th- this is another one of those colored series that they've been doing and it's a huge buy they did a really good job there. Let's stay with DC. Move to this week. We're going to talk about Checkmate, number one. Written by BM Bendis, with art by Alex Mayleev. Spilling out of Bendis's Leviathan event, we found out in event the- Event Leviathan. Pardon me.
1: Yeah. Wait, no, spilling out of Bennis's Leviathan event, comma, event Leviathan. Or I was going to say, event Leviathan event, I think makes more sense. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We found out in the pages of Justice League 63, Ali Queen, Green Arrow, has been secretly funding the new Checkmate as they investigate Mark Shaw, the original Manhunter, and his group Leviathan, who are holding Damien and his mother, Talia al Ghul, hostage after they got too close to the secret Leviathan tech. Honestly? I kind of forgot that Leviathan was still a thing after Death yep. Metal blew up the whole DCU. <laughs> I kind of forgot that Bendis was
1: a thing at DCU.
0: I didn't know this was still happening.
1: I love this group, though. I love. It, these got, char- it got really delayed. Yeah. Uh, I, this whole checkmate thing got really
0: delayed. And it's not their fault. There was COVID stuff. Whatever. I get it. I love this group of characters. It's nice to see this group working together the way they are. Although, I don't understand why you don't bring in Batman, who is the world's greatest detective. But that's not important. May leave still has the magic, and even his talking head layouts look great. No one does giant shadow conspiracies better than Bendis. And even though I prefer my checkmate as a spy organization,
1: I'll take this for now. I'm giving it a bite. I mean, they're essentially spies.
0: Yeah, but, you know, it's not checkmate.
1: No, no, no! It's not checkmate. It's you're not right. Checkmate. It's not. It's not checkmate as we know it. Yeah, you don't have the queen uh, and the and the rook yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you you're know. right. It, it is not checkmate as we traditionally right. uh, are familiar with them. Uh, I, just a, a, a small point of order because I am that DC guy. Uh, Mark Shaw is not the original Manhunter. He is the 1980s Manhunter. Oh, who is the original uh, Manhunter? The original Manhunter was a man named Paul Kirk. And he was the manhunter in the golden age, uh, who was also the, uh, like he got cloned a billion times. And so he was the seventies manhunter, oh, the Archie Goodwin manhunter, Walt Simonson manhunter gotcha. with like the puffy right. sli- the flowy sleeves and the yeah, yeah, throwing yeah. stars. I love it. I love that guy. Um, Mark Shaw was the 1980s manhunter. He was, uh, he had some running, uh, some crossovers with the suicide squad, uh, Australian suicide squad back in the day. I mean, he's cool. Mark Shaw is cool. um, yeah, I, I thought this was good. I, Bendis at DC since leaving the Superman titles. Um I'm not I have not been loving Justice League. I need to catch up. I'm I'm a couple of I, I mean, I, like don't get me wrong, it's fine. Um but it's not like I don't know. Um it, it's just it's just fine. Uh th- this I I like this because this is carrying on uh, some of the themes that Bendis was obviously very passionate about at DC, uh, things that he set up in Superman with Leviathan, yeah. um, and I kind of love the fact that Batman's not involved because this group of characters is like none of the big none of the big guns can know about this. Well, there was a reason why they didn't tell
0: Batman, and it's been so long that I can't remember. It's been forever.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, it's been what, almost two years book, at this that's point. That's not this book's fault. No, no, no. Uh, and so, like. Yeah, well like you don't need to expl- you don't need to explain a character's absence. The character's just not there. Sure. It's fine. Um his son is here though. So some yeah, people you know, might be able we'll, like, well that's because well, Talia's involved, you know. It <laughs> uh but yeah, no, this is a buy it for me. I I've been enjoying this kind of like um, uh I, I, I want to call it a spy book, but really there it's not, it's not checkmate as we know it, it's but just international, I like this kind of espionage. Yeah. Espionage is the word. I was Intrigue conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Know. This yeah. Uh, kind of behind the scenes, not it, it's like it's super powered. Yes. But really it's more like cloak and daggery stuff. It's also a I very cool Mr.
0: use of, of Lois Lane. Very. Yes. Cool
1: oh yeah. I, I love, I love Lois having a ton to do. I fucking love Mr. Bones. I love Mr. I bones director bones director bones (laughs) so sorry well he's director of nothing right now because leviathan destroyed all the the secret organizations it happened but yeah this is a buy it of course bendison may leave yes just give it to me i I want it
0: meanwhile at the hall of justice all right joe patrick enough of this big two bs let's slide over to dark horse shall we it's hot as as hell outside let's fire up the the slip and and slide slide. and we'll slide through the lawn over to dark horse
1: (laughs) we we've We did what we did, what I used to do with my friends when I was a kid, when we couldn't afford a name brand slip and slide. We just duct taped a bunch of trash bags full of water together and weighed them down with rocks. That's sad. It doesn't work as well as as you'd hope.
0: Yeah, I was rich as hell, so I had the crocodile mile where you, 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 you run, liar. You, you were rich as hell. You, you hit liar. the bump and take a dive and then knocks your front teeth out. <laughs> it was awesome.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. I fully expect yeah. to hear the crocodile mile uh, theme song. In I don't think episode. that was crocodile mile. I think that was something else, honestly. Uh I don't know. That sounds legit. Yeah. Anyway, Parasomnia number one from Dark Horse. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to reread the solicit for this issue here. It was my pick of the week uh, because I think it's an important reminder. After his son disappears, a broken down man braves a nightmarish dreamscape in order to find him and battle the ruthless cult that seeks to rule the land of dreams as the barrier between realities starts to collapse. Now, I read that because the script actually does very little to set up the book's premise. Which is not to say that I didn't really enjoy Cullen Bunn's story, but I do admit that I felt a little lost at times. Like, all of that stuff from the solicit about, like, the waking world and the dream world, none of it. None of it is explained. Yeah, this is
0: another case where don't read the solicit. It's probably a right. better idea. Yeah.
1: And we're kind, of, we're kind of jumping ahead to things that we will be saying in our book review later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, go in cold, please. Uh, I did like the story. Cullen Bunn is right at home here with this kind of horror adjacent kind of, kind of, kind of tale. Uh, It seems clear to me that the homeless man that is walking around the real world and the swashbuckling stranger that is walking around the dream world are one and the same. Am I wrong? Um, I don't know
0: if you should spoil that.
1: I don't think it's a spoiler. I think we're supposed to think it. Okay. And it's not a spoiler if it's not I don't, I don't made disagree. overtly. Yeah. It's
0: not stated obviously. I guess I don't disagree. No, I don't disagree, but I don't know if okay. it's
1: I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. Come to it's
0: not that. a spoiler because the book doesn't confirm
1: it. Yeah. This is just my theory.
0: I suppose I I th- I also felt like that. Yes.
1: Okay. All right. The man's son is missing in both realms, uh, or maybe we everything we see is an illusion. I don't know. Uh, right now, it's a bit unclear, but Parasomnia is a four issue series. So I understand why the whole thing isn't laid out in the first issue. Now, we've had debates about this before. When is it okay for a book to kind of leave you hanging premise-wise? And for me, as long as I'm hooked by it, I'm okay with not knowing more about it yeah, in the first that's issue. Does the that rule. make sense?
0: That is the rule. As
1: long as it might Like, if I know it's only four, it's four and done. But
0: if by the end of the first issue, you feel... I need to come back. Then they did the job. If you read it and you go, I don't know what's going on and I don't need to come back. They dropped the ball.
1: Right. And personally, I trust Colin Bunn to get us there. Like he's, um, he's done this before in other books. And I I have no reason to believe that when Parasomnia is over, it will be a satisfying, complete read. Andrea Moody's art is fantastic. Uh, And I become more of a fan with each new project. His use of watercolor here really sets the waking and dreaming worlds apart. The dreamscape is endless gray, punctuated by the red of the stranger's cloak and maybe the occasional firelight. Uh, The waking world isn't too much brighter, but at least it feels alive. Oppressively bleak, but alive. (laughs) There's actual color there. There's green, there's blue. Right. Parasomnia number one left me with some questions, but as we discussed, that's okay. I enjoyed what the issue set up. Enough to come back for more. And Andrea Moody's art is a real treat to look at. I'm giving this a buy it.
0: Yeah. This did the job. Do I know what's going on? No. Do I want to know more? Yes. And yeah, that's, exactly. That's what a good horror mystery does. And Bun, like you said, guy you can trust when it comes to horror. Moody is on a tear and is getting better yeah. with every book that guy does. Um what was the Maniac of New York? If you, didn't, Maniac of New York yeah. if you didn't read it, you friggin' need to. He painted the whole thing in a very similar style. It was mm-hmm. a little more colorful than what's going on here, but like you said, the reasons that the color changes is to identify. Yeah, you know, this is the real it's world. A per, it's this a purposeful a dream use of color. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a huge buy it for me. Enough of this BS. It's time to talk about violence, extreme, yeah, barbarian, get that blood. violence, get it. in the pages of Barbaric, number one, from Vault. This was written by Michael Morrissey with art by Nathan Gooden. Owen the Barbarian was living his best life. He was fighting, sleeping around, drinking, fighting, and repeating until he was cursed by witches with the worst punishment he could possibly imagine. He's being forced to be a good guy. Worse yet, his trusty axe now speaks <laughs> to him and acts... Man, I hate this punny shit. And I didn't mean to write it. And is acting. There we go. As his supervisor, letting him know who he can and can't kill. Of you course, know that
1: acting is not a pun, right? Like acting is a separate word from acts. Yeah, axe. but I said his
0: axe acts, and I—that's just too close. That's why you. Okay, but acting. that's that was unintentional. <laughs> I'm forgiven. Of course, no one else can hear his axe speak, but that doesn't stop Owen from having conversations with his inanimate moral judge. Witches be crazy, man. Man, fucking bitches. Am I, right? I mean, witches. Morrissey's script comes off as Conan with a sense of humor and sort of a good cop, bad cop, buddy film type thing. The- <laughs> bad cop, worse cop. <laughs> the violence is extreme, and it looks great thanks to the detailed and action-packed art of Gooden. Barbaric is exactly what the solicit promised, and it's worth the cover price for any fan of smart fantasy with a clever plot and real humor. There's a lot of books like that.
1: that uh, are- if, you want the, if you want the cover that's got boobs on it, it's $2
0: extra. <laughs> yeah, Tim Seeley did it. Uh, there's plenty of books out there, look, just like this, that are trying to be smart, tongue-in-cheek, self-aware fantasy. And I don't think a lot of them are succeeding. And a lot of them get a lot of really good press. And maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like this is one of the best ones I've read in a long time. I'm giving Barbaric a buy it.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I loved Barbaric. I loved the talking act. That's the thing. That's the to, to talk about that last thing that you said. Books that are trying to be too clever about it. Yeah. Barbaric knows what it is. Yeah. And it has no illusions. It is. It is a dumb. It is a dumb book. It never comes in off the, as in the snarky. best way.
0: Like it never comes off as like, oh, and here's a joke you probably read on Twitter last month, you right? Know, like, well, and it will, no.
1: but also it's not like. And then in the highlands of you know, it, it, it's it's not like so heady in its fantasy. It doesn't have a set up its own fantasy ass, right? Uh, it, it, like it's, it's a silly premise executed very well. The art is outstanding. Yeah, the art is so good. Uh, the script is funny. Michael Morrissey, man, friend of the show. Love that guy. He is a great writer. Super and this talented. comic book is hilarious. Super talented. And uh, look, look, I do not understand why there is a nude variant cover. That's not, you know, it's not, it, I'm not a marketing guy. I I mean, okay, let, let me back it up. I do understand why there's a nude variant yeah. cover. I mean, I was like, what are you, is this, are you new here? There was a bunch of boobs no, no. in this book too. I mean, no no no, it's that's, that's book. different the, but you know what? there's lots of boobs in a lot of books. they don't have they don't have nude variants. Uh, but a lot of them uh, do. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. That, look, it's fine. It, it's fine. I, I, like whatever. Um, I will say this uh, from an inside baseball perspective, if you are a publisher that is sending review copies out to uh, reviewers, podcasts, websites, whatever do what vault does 100% and just give me IDW does it as well. Give me the book with every single piece of art that is associated with it. Yeah. Show me every variant cover because I loved looking at all those variant covers and the idea that there were so many to choose from, you know, I was like, if I was, if I was a comic buying fan at the shop, I would have been like, Ooh, I would have had a hard time picking.
0: Well, I'm not going to get into a whole variant discussion here, but I think there was a ridiculous amount for this one. They probably, well, could yes. have done- I mean, there were a lot, and I'm sure <laughs> that I'm sure that many of them
1: may have been store yeah. exclusive. Like they would have had, they would have had their own. Like I'm not saying that they didn't have their own like um, uh, restrictions on on ordering or buying or whatever. But um, I, but I still, I want to see them. I want, I want so uh, to see uh, them. I want, I want to see yeah. all the crazy art, and they provided the crazy art. I loved it. This is a huge buy it. Um, yeah. I can't wait for more of this. The, the, Even the naked one. I, pretty good cover. I mean, yeah, it's a good drawing. Yeah. What do you I mean, what do you want? I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a monster. I get it. I understand the appeal. I nah, me, man, I think naked ladies are
0: disgusting. Oh, yeah, you do make me. Yeah, Ill. Yeah, I knew that. About <laughs> you.
1: Um, I like right from the jump where where they said that the guy's name was Owen the Barbarian. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes yes thank you and he even makes a joke about it how like the, like songs were written like you could write songs about it but there are no good words that rhyme with owen <laughs> uh yeah i loved it bye it. Ah! <laughs> wrapping up our reviews for this week is the united states of captain america number one uh, no surprise here it comes from marvel comics now, I was a little worried when Marvel announced this series, despite the jokes that I'm sure Matt Baum is already preparing to make. It had nothing to do with the idea of introducing new, diverse characters inspired by the ideals of Captain America.
0: What? Rather, I, I thought it you? would
1: read Time like out. nothing. Why am I being thrown under the bus for making because of diversity? That, you know, because if I let you do it, the first thing out of your mouth will be Joe hates gays. Joe hates the gays. Oh, you mean here we are at Pride Month? Joe me hates the gays. making fun of you? Okay. Yes, right. I thought you were like uh, yes, I would be the no, one. That's you like, are making fun of me I don't for need being no worried about diversity. The my Captain America. No, 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 no. You, I was, I was worried about you making fun of me for oh, being worried about the comic. Gotcha. The reason I was worried, uh, at least at first, is because I thought it would read like nothing more than Marvel trying to check off more boxes on their diversity checklist. Yeah. Right. Uh, and again. There is certainly nothing wrong with that in theory, but there is a healthy amount of cynicism that I can't help but feel when a corporate giant tries to do anything truly positive. Uh, See also, we discussed it before, uh, Twitter logos turning rainbow colored when they donated to the GOP. Right. (laughs) Who are you trying to fool? Which brought me to something, uh, again, that we touched on in our Pride episode last week. When it comes to efforts like this, you have to trust the motivations of the creators involved, not the corporations. Luckily, the creators behind the United States of Captain America do a tremendous job setting up the premise of the series and introducing us to our first new Cap, Aaron Fisher, the Captain America of the Railways on the eve of steve rogers donating his iconic shield to the smithsonian for a special exhibit a superpowered thief dressed a whole lot like captain america breaks into his apartment and steals it cap and the falcon give chase and run into fisher an unhoused teen passing through the city that happened to stop and help thus begins the cross-country quest of the caps new and old To find the shield and take it back from those that would sully the ideals that it stands for. I was really impressed with writer Christopher Cantwell's lead story, which embodies the best take on Steve Rogers, in my opinion, uh, which is that he's loyal to the dream of America's potential, not the government. Uh, We see how Steve perceives that dream now and how it can be twisted into a fallacy or even worse, nationalism. Uh, how the white picket fence is a lie used to keep others out and how the American dream is best when it keeps no one out. As the script says, quote, a good dream is a dream shared, shared radically shared with everyone. Uh, There's a very kind of um, humbling, I would say uh, sequence, especially for Americans where Steve is thinking about all of the ways that his shield is used. And we see like a mom berating her kids while wearing a Captain America t-shirt. Uh, You know, we see all kinds of stuff where maybe you wouldn't want to equate Captain America to those things. Uh, So anyway, uh, that is my long-winded way of saying, please make Christopher Cantwell the next Captain America writer, (laughs) because he was really good at it. The lead story is drawn by the always enjoyable Dale Eaglesham, whose super beefcake style is right at home with the star-spangled Avenger. We're also presented with a backup story by Aaron Fisher's creators, Josh Trujillo and Jan Bazaluda. Aaron is an immediately likable character who seems really capable in a fight really fast, Did he seem but a little too capable. I, I'm going to look, <laughs> look, I'm chalking that up to the power of Cap's inspiration. In fact, he says as much during that scene where it's like he's just like he, it's like a mom who's got the adrenaline to lift a car off a kid. I right? get it.
0: But he, he bounces the shield off of one dude. And he's I know it, dude. Matt,
1: Like, look, and he doesn't have cap it's shield. It's he's a one-off just, story.
0: He it's, like picks up can a lid. manhole or a trash can lid or something. Yeah, it's not even
1: about It's not. You know how heavy manhole covers are. It's that a trash can was lid. that
0: was like my only problem. I was like, okay, now hold on. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, he, he fights off. He fights off like uh, he fights off like a small uh, facilities worth of yeah. armored goons. <laughs> right, uh, but you know what? Whatever. I still, it was fine. Uh, Basiluda's art is slick and dynamic. I would actually love to read more about Aaron Fisher's adventures by this creative team. I, I was really impressed. Uh, the United States of Captain America. Number one is a superbly executed issue celebrating the ideals and the legacy of Captain America. I'm really looking forward to more of it. I'm giving it a huge buy it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is way more than I thought it was going to be. It is easy for both sides, whether you are on the side of more diversity or less diversity in your comics to roll your eyes and say, here we go again with another one of these. And that's not what they did here. They executed it really well. I did think that Aaron Fisher was a little too capable at some (laughs) points. And I would have rather just sort of seen him be like punk rock scrapper. He's got some shitty tattoos and stuff. He's got like kind of a shaved mohawk hair, you know, whatever. And like, I like the idea of like this punk rock, queer Captain America who's just kind of a fucking badass but I don't buy that he can bounce his shield around enough people I'm sorry I mean he was like he was doing some borderline ninja shit yeah <laughs> unless there's something going on there and if there is then tell me you know like oh no, yeah there's nothing going they, on he took an experimental just, drug it, it just, and, and it turned him into this or something I don't he's know. just that good but you I, know he's had, he's, had, he's had to
1: fight off a lot of hobos I
0: guess and I like the character I like the design I, and I like the idea of this I like how impressed he was with Falcon as well and how like there is this subculture of people that are out there, like, I oh, want to yeah, be I didn't like touch that. on that. You know, like, I want to- I be-
1: I love the idea, yeah, that there is kind of this underground movement of people inspired by Captain America to just help others. Yeah, like I want to be a badass. Like I, which makes
0: total sense. And yeah, I mean it's the same, like this is not to say that there's a grand anti-fu conspiracy. anti is just a bunch of people who don't like fucking fascists and will show right. up and get beat up by cops and shit sometimes to prove it. So, I very much believe that there would be a subculture of people that are Captain America fans that would try to do the right thing in their situation. And Aaron is a great character. I'm giving this a buy as well.
1: You run, you slide, hit the and take a dime.
0: Crooked. Eight comics entered Joe Patrick, but only one, maybe two if we disagree, leave and make it into the THN permanent collection. What was the best thing you read in this pile? God, I'm you're born You're because... bad at this. Hmm? I said, you're always so bad at this.
1: <laughs> no, no. It... So, for me, Barbaric was a last-minute read, and so it's fresh in my mind, and I really, really enjoyed it. But I think that in my heart, my, my best book of the week is The United States of Captain America.
0: I'm going to go with Barbaric. I really like, you know, United States of Captain America, but Barbaric just felt fresh. It felt fun. It's got a great plot. It, it did. Yeah. You're absolutely. And, so and you know what? Good. Now
1: we get to have both. We get to put both in the collection. There we go. You can find our picks of the week and the episodes review list on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along. But there were way more than eight comics on the stand. So let us know what you thought about our picks and anything that you read on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 a.m. to noon Central Time.
0: After a hot review session like that, it's time to cool off in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we discuss our must-read picks of next week. It's been hot as hell on the West Coast, and I've set up a cold tub powered by some beard trimmings of Ymir, the frost giant that I picked up on eBay just in time for the heat wave to hit the Midwest, Joey. If these nerds are only buying one comic book next week,
1: what should it be? Isn't Ymir just made of ice? Yeah, but he's got like a weird ice beard. Okay, so basically you just got some ice on eBay yeah, yeah, that yeah, somebody told sh- you was from Ymir's sh- face. No,
0: it's got a certificate of authenticity in everything. Who signed it, Matt?
1: Did Ymir sign <laughs> no, it? No. Stan Lee did. <laughs> <laughs> My pick for next week is Blacksmith number one. Get it? I just now got it blacksmith number one you didn't get from that. ahoy really? you didn't, I didn't get it at first i like i read it i didn't say it out loud until just now i was like oh all right blacksmith. all right it's from ahoy comics it's written by eric palicki with art by wendell cavalcante that is a name i very much enjoy saying it is uh, a bunch of pages for 3.99 like all of ahoy's books here's your solicit meet Janie strummer jones just an ordinary werewolf PI trying to make it on the mean streets of L.A. When the case of a lifetime falls into her lap, it's up to her and her charming d- gin, gin, the gin assistant Ben Salat, to figure out just how many silver bullets have been used. And just where do silver bullets come from anyway? Probably from the blacksmith. The silversmith, right? Well, I guess from the silversmith. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I don't know. Stop saying the gin. Just say genie because it's too too hard to read. Sorry. I'm sorry if that's culturally insensitive. Yeah, it's it too hard be. to read
0: out loud. It might be, buddy. And you don't have to say the gin. You just say gin. The D is silent.
1: It's a gin genie. Yep. There you go. Just, just like the song. Yeah. Um, I really like Ahoy Comics and uh, this sounded fun. Um, fun fact, this has nothing to do with why I picked it. I just like I really liked the cover. But Eric Palicki is the brother of Adrian Puliki or Adrian uh who played Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? She also played The Blonde One on Friday Night Lights. I don't know her name. The TV show. I have a question.
0: Not the movie. Real quick. Yeah. What's this Gin Genie song you're talking about?
1: Isn't there a song called Gin Genie? No.
0: There's one called. Gene Genie by David Bowie. Yikes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, that's me. That's on me, guys. My pick for next week is Masters of the Universe Revelation number one from Dark Horse. How they got this license. I mean, good for you, Dark Horse. I don't want you to go away. But how did they get this license? What do you mean? The Masters of the Universe license has jumped around a billion times. I know. I'm just surprised it's not like an IDW or Marvel or something. I don't know. This is written by Kevin Smith, Rob David, and Tim Sheridan with art by Mindy Lee, Rico Renzi, and Daron Bennett. Here is your solicit. This is the official comic book prequel to the upcoming Netflix television show written by executive Pre- Okay, we already read that. Good lord. yeah, yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Following a vicious Orlax attack on his father, King Randor, he Man learns the creature is linked to the origin of the Sword of Power. To save Randor and put an end to the chaos, He Man embarks on an epic journey that pits him against his longtime foes, Skeletor and Evil Inn, and sees Tila take the reins of a powerful legacy. The official prequel. We already said that. We got a Netflix show coming. Super excited. I'm
1: so stoked, yes.
0: And if we can do a good. Masters of the Universe comic, which by the way, DC just had the rights to this not too long ago. So no, not too long ago. This is some kind of
1: shakeup happened. I don't know. But these licenses don't stay in the same place. They jump everyone. around. That's how it works. And I was it's, not happy it's not with not like some big drama.
0: I wasn't happy with any of the DC like Masters of the Universe stuff, quite honestly. So I'm hoping they were we can do a better job here. I'm super pumped for the Netflix show. Yes.
1: Can't wait uh, just uh you know, just to clarify gin genie and the reason i think Jin genie was stuck in my head is that gin genie is uh, an x-men character she was a member of ecstatics what and she's got the uh, power to generate seismic vibrations proportionate to the amount of alcohol she intakes
0: i don't remember that character
1: yeah oh. uh, she yes she was in the original ecstatics and died in the very first issue
0: Oh, yeah. Gin Genie. That's what you mistook it for. Okay. You just did a search of Gin Genie and found that. No, like I knew that there was
1: a, I knew that there was a Gin mm-hmm. I knew that there was a Gin Genie, Joe, but obviously I confused it for the song. Tell us I'm about I'm the THN Trade of the Week, please. Okay. <laughs> I copped to it. I'm just saying that's why I thought Gin The THN Trade of the Week is Miskatonic Volume 1 Trade Paperback. It's from um, Aftershock Comics. Sorry. I don't know why I didn't uh, remember what I read. It's written by Mark Sable with art by Giorgio Pontrelli. It is 1699. Here's your solicit. Miskatonic Valley holds many mysteries. Cultists worshipping old gods, a doctor dead set on resurrecting the recently deceased, a house overrun by rats in the walls, but none more recent than a series of bombings targeting the Valley's elite. These horrors reach a breaking point when the brilliant, hard-nosed investigator Miranda Keller is sent to stop the bombings. To J. Edgar Hoover, there can be no other explanation than those responsible for similar actions during the Red Scare of the 1920s. But when Miranda digs too deep, she uncovers an unimaginable occult conspiracy, one that may cost Miranda her job and her sanity. Mark Sable. Uh, Mark Sable wrote God Killers, which we reviewed on the show in one of our Take a Look It's in a Book segments, and we loved it. It was great. So I am looking forward to reading this. I don't know Giorgio Pantrelli, but he drew. Did drew Dylan, uh, Dylan Dog. Do- remember Dylan he Dog? Dylan Dog. Yes, I remember <laughs> Dylan Dog, but Dylan Dog was around for a long time. Yeah. I doubt he's the only artist ever on Dylan Dog. I, he might Dylan be. Dylan Dog. Dylan Dog is a European uh, detective character, if you've never heard of him. Uh, so, yeah, this is a uh, they're calling this a mix of historical crime fiction and Lovecraftian horror that dives deep into the American Nightmare and this volume collects the first five issues. Be sure to pre-order these comics
0: if you're looking for a quality read. It's good for you. It's good for your comic shop. And normally in this part, we would introduce the new THN. Take a look. It's in a book club book for the
1: month. But you got to tune in next week to hear all about that. Ah! And speaking of our book club, at the beginning of each month, we invite a friend of the show to discuss a graphic novel for our Take a Look. It's in a book club Patreon segment. This month, our buddy Nick Garcia, a.k.a. Black Scorpion the Three, sat down with us to discuss the Downriver people from Arkea. It is by Adam Smith and Matt Fox. So here's a taste of what you'll hear when you become a patron for as low as $1 per month. Today we're talking
0: about the Downriver people. This book is from Archaea, your creative team. It's written by Adam Smith with art by Matthew Fox. Now, before we get into any of this, does anybody know these guys? Do Have we read anything else by them? Because they've written some other stuff that got quite a bit of attention, like Eisner nominations.
1: No, I haven't. Uh, they... Uh the Long Walk of Valhalla was the name of it? Yes, right? was that one was of the their one of
0: books. I think that was the first one they did, and it got quite a bit of press, and I believe that was one that's also never, on Eisner
1: nominated. No, I've never read it. Fair enough.
0: Nick? No, same here. No. Okay. The art looked familiar, but when I looked through their CVs, it's no, like, I don't I, don't I thought
1: so, too. I looked at it, and I was like,
0: I know this guy, and then I, I haven't read anything they've done. So, we're all new here. Here's your solicit to get us started. In order to keep his father's speakeasy afloat, Myers unwittingly gets caught up in his family ties to the occult, which is kind
1: of a spoiler, you know, because if you didn't read that, you wouldn't know for quite a it's while. It's a huge <laughs> spoiler and it, it, it says it on the back cover and I'm glad I didn't read it in advance. Okay.
0: Myers Carpenter is a bootlegger who just inherited his family's bar, the flatbed. Unsure of whether or not he even wants to keep the famous speakeasy, Myers is forced to find a new booze supplier when he burns his bridges at his longtime source in Mississippi. The only option he can turn to is his estranged mother, a woman he hasn't seen since he was a young boy, now running a fishing lodge for the wealthy, and a half-sister he knew nothing about. As Myers becomes more entangled in the lives of his newfound family, he begins to learn the secrets of the lodge and a dark cult thriving just under the surface of the wealth and opulence. Adam Smith and Matt Fox, the acclaimed creative team behind long walk to Valhalla, reunite for a gripping southern gothic thriller. About finding your family and the true cost of happiness.
1: Let's uh so there there is a Matt Fox, uh known for drawing horror pulp comics uh from nineteen forty-three to nineteen fifty-one. He died in nineteen eighty eight. I'm gonna guess this is not the same guy. I'm gonna say guy. it's
0: not the same guy. Yeah, the picture uh, yeah, he looks he a little drew, young.
1: he drew covers for Weird <laughs> Weird Tales magazine. Uh he did stuff for uh, journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense. Cool story, uh, so Joe yeah. Patrick.
0: Not that guy. But- I'm, just <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, don't be confused. Let's get right into the art, though, because the story literally opens with six panels that are completely silent, just opening up the scene in Mississippi on a riverbank. And it's absolutely stunningly beautiful, like muted color palette, blues, purples, this very serene, sort of, yet mysterious kind of scene that we're wandering into. And I thought it set things off really well, but confused me in a little bit. And we'll get into that, but what would you guys think about the art? Let's talk about that for a minute. I, I loved it.
1: I, I think that the illustration
0: was was great and familiar, but the coloring is what makes all the art pop. It yeah. has this monochromatic thing where every, every page is either toned blue or toned with this pinkish yeah. haze. Yeah. And it, it, that first chapter, it has that mix of both of them. As you move on in the chapters, you start to see how they're separating time periods by touching on certain palettes and not others. definitely. But that first one has a blend, and I think I didn't pick up on that until the beginning. It does a really good job capturing something that you see in rural flatlands. Like, these kinds of skyscapes where there's the pink and blue hues, yeah. you don't see those everywhere. Yeah, the weird Hallmark and, card, like, like Christian greeting card, you know, yeah, backgrounds. Yeah. And, and I gotta say, like, I didn't notice it at first either, and it wasn't until my second reading that I went back and I really noticed it, but as they, whenever there is like a nature scene, whether it's day or night, it seems to be very blue, and whenever there's an indoor scene, things have like this glowing orange kind of fluorescent light type Mm -hmm. thing, and and there's a scene later where like they're on the side of a road. Just like when you're inside or outside. Well, I mean, I suppose, (laughs) but I mean the way that everything glows, it glows orange, monochromatic orange. When the cops show yeah, up, everything it, glows it, with this monochromatic
1: pink. so I mean it's a it's a little bit more than monochromatic it, it, it's it's definitely multiple color it's more than just a single color palette, um, but the palette is very, very muted, and it is very deliberate uh,
0: definitely. the
1: choice between what colors are used in which scene and you know like so when there's uh, when there's um it, this this it, this book spends a lot of time in the dark. Yeah, uh, specifically outside. And whenever there's a, a, a flash of light from anywhere, whether it's like lights hanging in the trees or light from a nearby building, it's bright. Like it glows, like Matt said. Absolutely. Um, and and so the color uh, Fox uses the color here to very, very good effect.
0: Absolutely. Like just an opening scene where we find out this is Myers at his father's funeral. And we don't really know how dad died. We just know dad is dead. And there's people around there and they're in the bar and it's lit by Christmas lights. And the Christmas lights are just these little, look like flashlights that you can't see anything. There's no line or anything. They're just lights hanging in the air and they just gently sort of have this pink background and everyone has this muted kind of purple thing. And you can just feel this somber, dim bar setting, you know? And it's not until this older woman walks up and she's like, tries to give him money and she, If it flashes to a scene of like her sliding money across a bar and she's wearing a cross and then she makes a comment about how it's too bad that your dad is going to hell. And we instantly realize, oh shit, dad committed suicide. You know, and man, the way that they very gently just sort of lead you through the story the whole time, that's just one example. But the way you're gently led into it. This very much seemed to me like reading that solicit, I didn't get it because the first four, maybe six chapters are really just kind of
1: slice of life, you know, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, Yeah. Like very kind of down home. uh, What, where is this? Uh, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yes. Thank you. Um, You know, yeah, it's very, you know, kind of deep South, like people living on the water, you know, downriver people. It, it, it seems like that's what it's gonna be. And if that's all it had been, I would have been fine. Uh, and then there's a there's actually a moment that kind of prefaces the the I guess genre twist. Not 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 the whole genre twist, but there's a moment of violence where you're like, oh definitely, yeah. And then you and then you think, oh, it's a crime book. Mm-hmm yeah uh, you know it's like a it's like a you know like a criminal or or something uh like that and uh and then and then it very much is not well <laughs> and and i wanted i can't like i can't stress enough that if you had not read the dust jacket on the back or the solicit online prior to picking up this book, you would have gone in cold like I did, and I think you probably would have been better for it Excelsior oh. That is it
0: for THN 626. Next week, we're going to be recovering from our 4th of July, 3rd degree burns with another Cosmic Longbox episode where we like to pick a theme and explore some classic comics. This time, the theme is power switches.
1: Oh man, you guys hold on to your butts because we got some
0: good ones. These are stories about when heroes that you know and recognize completely changed their power set. And uh, I don't think... Any of the ones we picked
1: stuck. They've <laughs> all gone back, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of no. one. Yeah, no, all of them. All of them. Can you think of a major one
0: that has stuck? Um, they just yeah, like switched um, the powers. Wolverine hmm. is hot claws now, you know, and it just stayed that way. <laughs> no, they just they just
1: don't mention the hot claws yeah, anymore. They're not, not hot anymore.
0: They cooled off want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following check us out on facebook for that hit us up on our live call-in show thn cover to cover every saturday 11 central standard time it is hosted
1: on that same facebook page and don't forget about our question of the week you know that would have been another excellent choice it would have been the issue uh, the finale of the other where Spider-Man uh, comes out of cocoon and he's got a sticky back and claws. Oh god! <laughs> oh god! <Spider-trails. laughs> I might have to change one of my picks. <laughs> this week's question comes courtesy of John Tverdick. You get to insert one superhero, mind you, superhero, into a horror show or movie franchise. Name the character. Name the franchise.
0: Love it. And we've been we've been saying like, for
1: instance, Batman investigating
0: the Saw.
1: Yeah, the Jigsaw, yeah. the Jigsaw Crimes yeah. from the Saw Universe. Uh, please do keep sending us your question of the week suggestions. We really appreciate it. We need them uh, all the time. All the time. We're not that creative. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline, and you could be internet famous. If you're going to send a message via voicemail or MP3, please remember to keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the nerds that are there for the live show.
0: If you're new to the show and you would rather the Gin Genie blesses you with an amazing hangover rather than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good Gen news Genie. is you can right? hear... Is that ad- how it goes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of. You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwittedNerd.com posting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank patrons like Idris Elba, Hussein. That's right, he listens to this show. I can't believe you know, it, Idris Elba. He's a fan of ours. That's so neat. You're supposed to cut me off
1: in this part. I, yeah, Idris Idris Elba Hussein. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm pretty sure we made that joke when we announced his patronage, and I'm sorry, it's just too good to pass up. Yeah,
0: it's way too good. But yeah, you're telling me it's not the it's not luther it's not it's
1: definitely idris elba you're 100 <laughs> okay not. it's it, it is it's just, it it's is just going to be in is,
0: my head all right <laughs> it is it is he's a big sexy black dude and he's british is, is, and that makes him even sexier all right it is
1: we're still celebrating pride month here in the ziggurat so before we go our weekly shout out goes to immortal hulk writer al ewing who took the brave step of coming out as bisexual today as we record this wednesday so you're saying i've got a chance
0: Yes! Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> uh, word to you, Al, and I'm sorry for what's about to happen to you vis-a-vis my partner, and congratulations. I'm not gonna do anything. It might it's my hit off. Yeah, that's what I'm so- apologizing I'm for. Never. You're I'm not very be- subtle about it. I'm be a it.
0: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just out you as a deadbeat. This is a two-headed nerd signing off.
1: I don't think we ever actually. It's not like we put their names on the register like people who wrote bad checks,
0: right? You know, like had a, like a Polaroid like Skateland Land. The kids yeah. got in a fight, <laughs> and we're like,
1: doesn't like to pay for his comics. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. It's like don't, yeah, don't, don't accept pull file changes yeah. from this man.